It was the pivotal teaching of Pluthero Quexos, the most celebrated dramatist of the Second Dominion, that in any fiction, no matter how ambitious its scope or profound its theme, there was only ever room for three players, between warring kings, a peacemaker, between adoring spouses, a seducer or a child, between twins, the spirit of the womb, between lovers, death. Greater numbers might drift through the drama, of course, thousands in fact, but they could only ever be phantoms, agents, or, on rare occasions, reflections of the three real and self-willed beings who stood at the center. And even this essential trio would not remain intact, or so he taught. It would steadily diminish as the story unfolded, three becoming two, two becoming one, until the stage was left deserted. Needless to say, this dogma did not go unchallenged. The writers of fables and comedies were particularly vociferous in their scorn, reminding the worthy Quexos that they invariably ended their own tales with a marriage and a feast. He was unrepentant. He dubbed them cheats and told them they were swindling their audiences out of what he called the last great procession, when, after the wedding songs had been sung and the dances danced, the characters took their melancholy way off into darkness, following each other into oblivion. It was a hard philosophy, but he claimed it was both immutable and universal, as true in the fifth dominion, called Earth, as it was in the second. And more significantly, as certain in life as it was in art. Being a man of contained emotion, Charlie Estabrook had little patience with the theater. It was, in his bluntly stated opinion, a waste of breath, indulgence, flummery, lies. This is Dark and Stormy Nights, the podcast where we read the first page, and only the first page, of every novel ever written. I'm your host, Vin LeBate. And I'm your other host, Ben Blattberg. And tonight we're talking about the first page of Imagica by Clive Barker, published in 1991. So I think we're all probably familiar with Clive Barker, at least by reputation. Yeah. Like I've read some of his stuff, but not really in any sort of organized fashion. Yeah, same. Oops, I forgot to introduce our guest. Oh, <laughs> oh hi. <laughs> well, let's just jump right back into it. Uh, joining us this week is Jess Shoutan. Hello. Hello. I'm just going to leave that like that. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> um, yeah, so Clive Barker. Yes, Clive Barker. Uh, so, okay. So Clive Barker, for me, is the pinhead guy. Mm-hmm. You know, like, with all of the horror movies that came out in the 80s and 90s, there was in a lot of them there's these iconic killers so there's michael myers there's uh freddy krueger there's jason and then there was this weird guy with pins in his head and i knew that that had to do with clive barker because at the beginning of every you know commercial was clive barker's um uh hellraiser was it yep Mm -hmm. hellraiser okay uh, so that's where I knew the name Clive Barker from. And then of course, you know, like reading and as, as time went on, I knew that he wrote a lot of, a lot of horror books. Um, but the first Clive Barker book I read was the thief of always, which was actually Same. given to me. Yeah. It was actually given to me by a high school friend, um, mm-hmm. who Ben knows, um, Kenny Gordon. And, um, I read, I read the thief of always around the time that I read Coraline. 
Um, I had just really, I was a newly minted librarian or rather like probably coming out of my trainee traineeship. And I read Coraline and my friend and I were reading it together, trying to convince him to go to library school, which worked by the way. And we both liked Coraline. And then he gave me a copy of The Thief of Always. And I really, really liked it. Like I liked it on many levels. It was one of those stories that was scary, but I felt like it could be appreciated by an adult as much as um, a kid. And there were ju- there was just a lot of good things going on in there. So immediately I was like, well, you know, I have to read something else by him. So, um, you know, he had like his, is it Eberat or Arabat? Eberat? Arabat, I think. Arabat, Arabat. Um, YA series. And I was like, ah, you know what? No, I'm going to, I'm going to jump into an adult book. Do I want to go horror? But at the time there was this little table outside of the children's area where I used to work. And, um, <laughs> this one, Imagica was there and they always, the, the staff, you know, take the books. So I was like, well, I'm just going to take this. And I was like, I had no idea that Clive Barker wrote fantasy and I like fantasy. And that copy is still on my shelf. Uh, now downstairs in my house and I have yet to finish the book. (laughs) And that's my story about (laughs) Imagica, which also my brain would always change to Jamaica when I looked at it really quickly. I was like, Jamaica, it's not Jamaica. Like the the train stop where we would always have to to change trains to get into New York City. Yeah. Um, Wait, just, just to clarify, did you say this book was on the table in the children's section? Not exactly. Outside. Okay. So it was a little bit outside. The way that it used to work was that there was like a little book sale area. This is before construction because my, my library went under, went like a massive construction. But there was like, there was a copy machine adjacent to the children's desk. And then there was a table on the other side. And that's where all of the books that they were selling, uh, be they discards or, you know, donations that we couldn't put on our shelf were. And I got some really good books there. Um, But I had literally just finished The Thief of Always and decided I really wanted to read another Clive Barker book. And it was there. I don't think that people were supposed to think it was a children's book. I certainly hope they didn't. (laughs) I did steer a child away from reading, um, oh man, one of the Terry Good Good Kind books. Um, He was eight. And his mother was like, he watches the show. And I'm like thinking, I'm like, there is a 75 page S&M scene in that. And I'm like, <laughs> well, you know, I'm like, it is an adult book. So there's mature content. You you might just, you know, want to just like make sure that, you know, she's like, he can read it. I'm like, no problem with that. You know, I'm just just letting you know that the content is mature, which I don't know if. You know, I know that a librarian supposed to be like, just read whatever you want. But I'm like, uh, that kind of wrecked me and i was an adult when i read that so eight-year-old child mm. anyway yeah that's the 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 50 pages and up rule for for snm scenes mm. or really scenes in general <laughs> like <laughs> like this has a scene that's over 50 pages so i don't know if your eight-year-old will like it but right i don't know and it also has uh, snm not spaghetti yeah. meatballs mm. i'm probably projecting when i say that uh an eight-year-old might not have the attention for this uh that's that's probably just me now. Frankly. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, uh, I also have a uh, 
disorganized relationship. Well, that's a weird way to put it. Uh, mm -hmm. With Clive Barker's books, like just now hearing you talk about, like, oh yeah, like I read this book. I just suddenly remembered the one book that I clearly remember reading was uh, was it called The Damnation Game? No, Is that a title that I had for one of my books that I was writing. <laughs> anyway, uh, it was something where. Oh, yeah. Uh, it was a very good book. And it was back when I was a teenager and I would write interesting quotes on my walls or on paper that I put up on my walls. Uh, and I just remember there's this devilish character who has made a deal with the protagonist, I want to say, uh, or with the protagonist's uh, employer. Uh, so he's going to take his soul, but he gave him, you know, limitless wealth or something. Uh, and the, I think the devil says something like, what person of any imagination would be satisfied by just controlling the world or something? There's, there's something, there's, there's a line like that. And I was like, oh yeah, like, like that's pretty limited, right? Just to have like power and money. Like who, you know, what, what uncreative person uh, thinks that? Uh, and here I am recording in my closet uh, and be like, oh, it'd be kind of nice to have, you know, power and money. Um, Listeners, it was the damnation game. <laughs> Uh, but then I just remembered that I like read uh, and really loved uh, Cabal, uh, which got turned into the movie Nightbreed. Hmm. Uh, and then also I read like a few comic books that he wrote, um, some of which were based on his works and, you know, uh, but I've never seen a Hellraiser movie. Uh, and the only other thing that I know about him, besides that he's an artist, and I'm very curious if the book that was being discarded at the Syosset Public Library was uh, uh, had this cover. It, uh, it, yes, absolutely. That that exact cover. I I had to when you sent this to me because I knew this was um, I knew this was the direction we were going. I knew we were going to record this one tonight. I had to go check. I was like, I'm pretty sure this is the same cover. And it absolutely 100 percent was. But it's a paperback. So this first page is condensed into teeny tiny print. So I was happy to have the one you sent me. Uh, I think that might just be the camera because it actually is teeny tiny print if you try and look at it normally. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> okay. Because I'm fairly certain it's that same paperback. Yeah. But I've been thinking recently that I, I want to get uh, away from electronic books and get back to physical books. And then I open up a physical book and think like, can I magnify this in some way? <laughs> uh, that won't make me feel old. Uh, but yes, uh, maybe we should put bifocals on our... Uh, eventual patreon mm. uh, wish list then um uh sh should we i mean uh uh dry, uh read uh listener <clears throat> uh, li <laughs> listener if you are driving a car and cannot uh go over to look at the cover uh vin would you like to describe this <laughs> so if you just casually glance at it the thing that you see is like a giant city off in the distance like a sort of a mountain of a city. And then if you sort of focus on it for a second, you see that in the foreground, there are like a handful of tiny figures standing in what appears to be like, like an HR Giger orgy cave. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, you know, it's funny cause that's, uh, pretty much how my, uh, my perception of this cover went. I was like, okay, like big city, Oh, people going up to the city. Oh, there's a comet behind the city. Oh, the people are in a cave. Oh, there's these weird sort of organic forms in the cave. Oh, there, there's a woman, a uh, woman's breasts, uh, which, you know, is the other thing that I actually 
wanted to say about Clive Barker, in my reading of of his books and my awareness of him as a person, uh, is that he is. Uh, uh, I, I want to say like his books were always a little more uh, sensual or sexual. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, than other horror writers. Yeah. The so I've read The Thief of Always, and then the other thing that I've read is The Hellbound Heart which is the short story that's the basis for Hellraiser, uh, which is pretty horny. Uh, like, it's all about, like, and again, about making wishes for things you don't actually want um, that spiral into, like, sexual chaos. I think, like, the bad guys in that or whatever, they're, like, some sort of, like, S&M priests, if I remember. The Cenobites? Yeah. Cenobites, Cenobites. Yep. Who explore the boundary where pain becomes pleasure? Mm-hmm. Uh, now you have the remember, Wikipedia open. I I, I not <laughs> only do not have the Wikipedia open, and I have never seen a whole movie. Uh, part of that I think is just cultural osmosis, and part of that is just like kind of knowing uh, Clive Barker, uh, mm-hmm. like his vibes a little bit. Like, oh yeah, this is what he does. Like, you know, like I, I just remember in the the short story or novella Cabal. I mean, I can't even remember. There's someone who's like not entirely human. And at some point she comes to accept that. And at some point after that, she uh, pleasures herself. That's just, let's scratch that and just say masturbate. That sounds better. (laughs) Uh, She, she masturbates. And like, there's something about the, the, like the entwining of like accepting yourself and also like, I don't know, being there for yourself uh, which is like, yeah, no, that's, that's it. Like, like that's, I guess maybe that's the thing. Like not only is he horny, but like the horniness is part of the theme. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like he definitely lives in that space where horniness and horror are intertwined, uh, literally most of the time. Yeah. I didn't get that in the thief of always. Though. <laughs> so no. remind me if that was part of it. <laughs> no, like I, one of the impressive things about the thief of always is that it's, that it is actually appropriate for younger audiences it is and it's enjoyable for older audiences as well yeah consider this a tangential recommendation from dark and stormy nights i was gonna say i i really one thing that i really uh, enjoy about talking uh to you all about first pages of random books is that like so many times i'm left wondering like oh like what else is here Mm -hmm. both in this book and like in this you know, in this writer's work or in just the genre, like, oh, like, like, were there other writers who I missed, like being uh, thematically horny in the 90s? (laughs) I'm sure there were a lot. I feel like I feel like there had to have been maybe they were, you know, maybe they weren't as well known as Clive Barker, but the shelves are filled with all of these um, genre authors, or at least um, had been. Um, you know, some of them stuck around, some of them not as much. And I'm sure, I'm sure somewhere in there, there was some of that horniness, whether or not it was the same or on par, but it had to have been there. And just to kind of like, I really, really like your description of the, um, the Geiger, uh, with the cover, because the only thing I could think of was like trilobites and boobs. Mm -hmm. Oh, and there's a city. So, yeah. Is that a band name or an album name? It should be tri- both. Trilobites and boobs. It should be both. Uh, but yeah. I wonder also, sorry, just going back a minute, like, 
uh, and listener, I, I promise we'll get to the first page at some point. But I, I wonder how much of this is like because Clive Barker wrote at a time in which we were probably reading horror. Uh, or let me rephrase that. Uh, when we move beyond just watching movies into reading, like mm-hmm. when we were uh, of a certain teen age, like Clive Barker was there for us uh, in a way. Um, uh, and I wonder if that's why, like, I'm sure like there were a, a, a lot of, uh, I mean, horror, many, for many authors, horror is like so much about the body. So like, I'm sure a lot of people weren't just like, Ooh, you know, sex, like let's kill these people having sex, uh, uh, but a little more nuanced uh, about it. But, mm. uh, you know, for us coming from like Friday the 13th or something, you know, uh, this would have been maybe the first, uh, exploration of, I don't know, uh, werewolves masturbating or something, <laughs> which is definitely an album name, I think, and not a bad name, but <laughs> right after trilobites and boobs. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I kind of wonder because I'm thinking I'm just, and I'm thinking in terms of movies, first of all, like the, the Hellraiser movies got like, I was on the Wikipedia page and, one of the reviews kind of cracked me up because it was not a, it was not good, um, and I have to find it. But um, yeah, so I started as like like I mentioned, like I kind of like started small with horror and then got bigger. Um, but you know, I know like if you're talking about like film and you know sexual body horror, I think about Argento a lot. Um, you know, he does a lot of that and. I, I could see, I could see, I could see a correlation there. And then thinking of just about in general, like, you know, with like a lot of these like epic fantasies that came out, like, you know, you had like that, that Terry Goodkind book that had, um, was, she was like a kid, was it like she was a confessor? And then I can't remember what the character was, the Mordseth. Anyway, uh, that was like a, a S&M goddess or whatever. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think, I think Clive Barker is definitely in a class by himself with this. Mm-hmm. And of course, today we're not actually talking about horror. We're talking about yeah, his fantasy, forays into right? fantasy. This is fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Sorry, I'm going to pause for a second. Apparently, Zoom has decided to do to actually enforce its 40 minute rule. Oh, oh okay. So, uh, hold that thought, and I'm just going to. I found the the uh, snippet of review of Hellraiser that I thought was so funny. Mm-hmm. If you if you if you want me to read it, I will go for it. <clears throat> Excuse me, Katie Rife, I believe, of the AV Club wrote that the Hellraiser films intentionally alienate casual viewers and instead appeal to the type of fan she compares to a humorless art student who prefers dark poetry to the more fraternity-oriented slasher films. Continuing the metaphor, Rife wrote, even when its ambition exceeds its budget, which is often, it's trying to say something with its occult art projects. So That seems like... A decent read of Clive Barker. Yes, I thought so. Yeah, I, I, uh, uh, I don't want to be mean, but humorless. Uh, I wonder how well that fits. I feel like maybe that's a pretty good read. Like, I can't remember a joke per se. Oh, I feel like this first page is, has a bit of a sardonic tone to it. Yes. It that, does. That's what, that's what I was, uh, was getting up to. 
Uh, yeah. If if only because uh, I don't know. I love the name Pluthero-Quexos. Yeah. I, I I was that far into the first sentence before thinking like I have to read this whole page uh, mm-hmm. a few times probably. But yeah, this is so. Over the course of this show, we've had a lot of examples of people uh, trying to make up names to sound cool and having them sound really terrible. And this is a really solid example of someone making up a name that they clearly mean to sound kind of goofy. Yeah, I would say so. All right, I'm going to read this first line. Go for it. All right. It was the pivotal teaching of Pluthero Quexos, the most celebrated dramatist of the Second Dominion, that in any fiction, no matter how ambitious its scope or profound its theme, there was only ever room for three players. And definitely, there's a bit of a, like, self-aware goofiness going on here. Yeah, I feel like that first sentence was structured specifically to be a first sentence. Like, it's got a sort of rhythm to it that calls back to other first sentences. I don't think, I think there's a lot of word in there. I don't think it's going to be as memorable, for instance, as like, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times, and there is, what mm-hmm. is it, no greater, I, I'm, now I'm trying to remember um, my Jane Austen, but, you know, there's there's a lot, there's a lot of word in there, but it's certainly got a rhythm to it that implies that there was some work in making this first sentence be the first sentence. Mm-hmm. I do like, I mean, okay, just a quick aside, like, I, I would, I would read a book that started uh, it was the second dominion. It was the fifth dominion. Uh, <laughs> I I would read that book. I would read uh, that book too. But there is definitely something that like it's it's not quite like the pseudo uh, academic, you know, like the sardonic uh, joke about academic writing being inscrutable. Uh, but there is something a little mannered about this this first line, mm-hmm. and the fact that it starts off with like it, it starts off with some of the like sort of nonsense, uh, which. Uh, again, I love, you know, Pluthero, Quexos, and the Second Dominion. Uh, and then it goes on just to be like, just about, like, this could be, frankly, uh, uh, any discussion in uh, a dorm room. Yeah. Or a lecture hall. Uh, you know, just like that, it, you know, we end with talking about like, you know, how many characters can you really have uh, in a story? Yeah, I like this page a lot because it's a description of something that in terms of like a writing philosophy is terrible, but in terms of a fictional writing philosophy is really interesting. Like I, I'm always there for fantasy fiction entwining art discussion with weird magical axioms, which is clearly part of what's going on here. Yeah. I was getting um like, almost like Terry Pratchett vibes mm-hmm. from this, which I love. I just, I really do enjoy um, Terry Pratchett's books. And I think like, I like just like looking at this, I'm kind of surprised that I didn't really end up finishing it when I started to read it the first time. And I'm not sure exactly what happened because I was reading tons of Pratchett around this time as well. Yeah, my my memory, because I've also read a chunk of it, but not all, is that it's very uh, long and dense. Um, but yeah, I really like this first page, so maybe I'll try again sometime. Yeah, Pratchett is 
not dense. Um, and maybe no. that maybe that's really what what kind of threw me what kind of threw me off going from something you know like is like simple but also just well crafted and genuinely scary as the thief of always mm-hmm. to being like this is really dense. I can t- like like I said, the print is super super small. This was <laughs> pre ebooks and you know maybe my attention span just wasn't there but yeah like it 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 didn't have i guess the the light fluffy qualities that pratchett had for instance but i'm re- but reading this rereading this like i i'm definitely getting some some of that vibe the absurdism is there and i love it yes i agree yeah uh i'm curious i mean i did not find the philosophy of writing so absurd perhaps just because uh, i'm used to people's hot takes on what makes good writing uh, on twitter you know mm. maybe uh, not absurd so much as uh hyper reductive oh yeah that makes yeah. sense yeah it was also it was funny to me because like at first uh, i wasn't sure if uh his his pivotal teaching was that you know every story only has room or basically does every story only have three characters or three forces or should every story only have three? Mm. Cause then we get into the second paragraph where people who write fables and comedies are saying like, no, of course that's like, that's not the way we do it. Uh, it's just this, you know, this funny thing that, you know, you, you see people do where they switch from like descriptive to uh, prescriptive uh, with writing, mm. you know, like, like, you know, th- there's always that moment with like, you know, like, Oh, like, this is what happens when you use, you know, long sentences. And then like a paragraph later, uh, in this book of, uh, of how to write good that I'm imagining, uh, mm. you know, you, you go very quickly from, this is what happens with a long sentence to don't write long sentences or, you know, things like that. Yep. Um, I, I think like, but also like just calling back to what you were saying before about it being in like, um, a college, uh, lecture, you know, like there's always these lectures where the professor will go on some, or at least I was in a few where like the professor would go on some like thing about how, um, like how things have to be, how structure has to be in order for it to be good. And then somebody's just like, yeah, you know what? Screw that. I'm going to do the complete opposite and be like, you don't have to do that. Like, yeah, no, I don't have to write what I know. I don't have to do this and that's just sort of sort of uh, a, a thing or you know people trying to point out like when it wasn't done i'm trying to think like i i think it was it, it like i read it as you know he like he in his loftiness um quexos was saying that um it should it should be three mm. but maybe i maybe i read that completely wrong well the thing that i like in the second paragraph is that it, it describes all of his uh, colleagues in the the fables and comedies section uh, talking about how, no, no, we often end with a marriage. Like Quexos talks about how you start with three and then eventually you have two and then one and then zero as the story draws to a close. And they're like, no, we end on, on big parties and marriages all the time. And he's like, yeah, that's because you stopped telling the story too early. <laughs> and yeah. that like... Again, in the context of this, is a solid comeback. <laughs> that is an interesting, uh, interesting point. You know, the, the question of like, you know, you you read, you know, uh, Bluebeard's wife, and like, 
the moment before she opens the door to find the the horror chamber, uh, you know, she's excited and happy and like, oh, you just end the book there or like mm-hmm. end the story there and like everything's okay. Her Sansa um, Stark gets engaged to Joffrey and that's the end. <laughs> Nothing uh, else happens. She wants to get engaged. She's engaged. Yeah. Bye. Uh, I mean, in, in a way, I guess uh, that's a pretty good description of our podcast. <laughs> we just, <laughs> that's true. We, we stop the story very early. Um, but one thing also I, I did want to mention, uh, and it's funny cause I feel like for all the, uh, sort of thorniness and well, the, the, the length of the sentences and the asides here, like there's something very, uh, mannered, but also very consistent. Like every sentence feels like it was written by the same person, mm-hmm. uh, or the same narrative voice, I should say. Um, but Something that kind of interests me is that we start with the line about Pluthero Quexos and the Second Dominion, and then we just kind of talk about art theory for two paragraphs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it's in the third one that we get a mention of like the Fifth Dominion, which is something that I only know from the cover that this is, you know, the first book in the Fifth Dominion series. So I know Fifth Dominion is going to be important. And then I learned that the Fifth Dominion is called Earth. And it, it, that was kind of pleasantly jarring to be thrown back uh into the 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 fantasy you know from like the consideration of like well how should we write stories you know to being reminded that this is a book where honestly i don't even know what's going to happen is is does the fifth dominion take place at the same time as the second yeah Uh, that's true like and this was a thing where like uh, I have noticed after I read the first page or not even like after I read the first paragraph of some of these pages, I will like make a beeline for Wikipedia just to be like, wait, what What did I just read? Mm-hmm. And this one, I just wanted to like, I, I wanted to do this as pure as I could just like go in and preserve my ignorance, which I will say is uh, epic uh, at this point <laughs> uh, in this book. Uh, but it was funny just to have that moment of being thrown back into like, oh, yes, I'm reading a, a fantasy book where, like, something is going to happen, but I don't know what. And then the end of the page, where we finally get, like, a person with a recognizable name, mm-hmm. like, that, uh, I don't know, uh, that that flummoxed me a little bit, uh, if only because, like, there's a significant break, and I don't know if, if the listener is not reading along with us, but there is a, like, literal break. Mm-hmm. There is a literal break in, on the page. Like a section break. Yeah. But then the, like, again, the narrative voice is like the same, you know, like when you read the sentence, uh, it was in his bluntly stated opinion, a waste of breath, Mm -hmm. colon, indulgence, flummery, lies, like that's the same narrative voice. So it's kind of a, a funny break to me. Like, oh, like we're being introduced to someone important, but we still have the same view of things, which is like, yeah, it's a, it's a hard cutaway to earth, uh, pretty clearly. But it's still, it's still the same tone, uh, which is an interesting, like an interesting juxtaposition of those two spaces. Like here's, here's where we're talking about the second dominion. And it's got a tone of like sort of academic judgmentalism almost. And then we cut to Charlie Estabrook, who is sort of occupying that same mental space. There's a, what I what I thought was interesting about this first page was that like there's a lot of world building in it before you get to a character really. I mean, mm-hmm. Pluto Quexos 
is like you you know from this that he's like a lot like a lofty person you know this is like like you're talking about like one of the, like the great philosophers talking about something and then world building and you know kind of that and then you meet who might be our main character but that doesn't you know that doesn't really happen until after all of this yeah and one of the things now that you mentioned it that's really sort of impressive about the world building here is that it's not world building about people places and things like we have one person and we have like a couple of we have the fifth dominion and the second dominion to sort of locate us but it's not like here's the river here's the history not it's at just, all yeah it's just here is this philosophy of art and you get a very strong sense of what the world is just because that's what we're talking about yeah it's just it, again it was it was really it was really interesting and very very ambitious um because i I read a lot of books. Like I sometimes I read like up to four to five books a week, um, depending. Sometimes it's less, but uh, four to five is not unheard of. And I I don't know if it's I, I can't say that I don't see you know like sentence structure like this or this. <clears throat> excuse me, but I I can't remember reading a book that has so much about like the philosophy and like the culture of the world you're going to go into in the first page. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is, I mean, uh, <laughs> uh, this may surprise the listener, uh, but I've, I, I'm having some trouble discussing this just because like, uh, this is kind of a random comparison, but like Tim Gunn, uh, has a, a, a set interaction when someone is wearing something that he thinks is hideous Mm-hmm. which is basically something like i i think his line is uh it's something like uh if that's what you want that that's certainly one of those or <laughs> oh what is it like it's essentially like you know like it is what it is mm-hmm. like if that's what you're going for like you certainly got there um and that's kind of the way i feel about this first page like like this is not a debut novel mm-hmm. <clears throat> This is not a debut, no. De, 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 oh, man, you're going to leave this in, aren't you, Vin? Probably. Now okay. that you mentioned it, yes. <laughs> uh, like, this is not a, a, a debut novel. Like, this is something where, like, someone is, like, like uh, feeling himself, I guess, I want to say. Yeah. Like, this is what he wanted to do. Yeah. And, like, and it's, a, it's a turn in his career, so it's sort of like his self-indulgent, I-can-do-fantasy-now move. Yeah. But, like... I don't know. I guess like it doesn't feel like, uh, again, another comparison, like this doesn't feel like Michael Jordan thinking he can play baseball. Mm-hmm. No, not at all. Actually, that's like, a great comparison. <laughs> <laughs> but like, like, that's the thing. Like I, this, this, like, I don't know. Uh, this page is weird and kind of thorny and odd. And like, I loved it. Uh, like I, I'm interested. Hmm. Even though I, I do have some hesitations around Charlie Estabrook. And then when you said, wait, I can't remember if it was you uh, or Jess who said that like Charlie Estabrook, you know, who's probably our protagonist. And when you said that, like my heart kind of sank just a little bit like, ah, uh, like, yeah, I mean, I he know. might not be. You hmm. know, there's there's a lot there's a lot. Like I said, there's a lot of like weirdness going on here. So. But he, but he's as Vin said, he's the first character with a name that resembles a name that we would have in this world. I believe you were saying, you know, the Fifth mm-hmm. Dominion where we live, of course, as we all know. Yeah, up here on five. 
<laughs> uh, yeah, I guess I just want I want the Plutharo Quexo story. Yeah, it is one of those situations where you're set up with something and then you're like, yeah. okay, now we're going to establish the perspective character that I'm not sure we really need. Yeah, yeah. Because like we were in the deep end and we were okay. Mm-hmm. And also like, you know, clearly Charlie Esterbrook is the kind of person who is like meant to be sort of abrasive and unpleasant based on these two lines. Um, where we learned that being a man of contained emotion, Charlie Esterbrook had little patience with the theater. So, yeah, I feel like if this book is about following Charlie Esterbrook around, that's going to be more of a challenge than dealing with the weird fantasy nonsense. Yeah. Yeah, that just I, I think that's a great, uh, you know, like, like, you know, you, you listen to writers talk about how like or this is especially true in Hollywood where executives will say, like, can we make this person more likable at the beginning? Mm-hmm. And writers are like, no, like this is their journey from being like a not great person to a better person. Yeah. You know, and you're just like, well, can we just start them off nice? And then everyone just likes them and everything's happy <laughs> like forever. Uh, and like, I always laugh at those executives. But when I hear you know, that Charlie Estabrook thinks that the theater is indulgence, flummery, lies. I'm like, not only do I not want to spend time with this person because he doesn't sound, he doesn't sound fun, but like, he doesn't sound interesting. Like, yeah. Who think, who thinks that like, hey, did you know the theater? It's not true. Like, yeah, <laughs> that's, what do you, I don't know. Yeah. I, d- I don't know uh, how to respond to that person. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. So. Like, in that brief description of uh, Charlie Estabrook, I, like, and just, like, the way you were, the way you were talking about him, uh, and, like, I, I was thinking of, like, the, and this is completely, like, separate, and there's issues here, but, like, just, like, think, my mind immediately went to, of all people, Vernon Dursley, and I'm like, oh, no, Mm -hmm. I don't want to spend any time with him, like, you know, because... You you know right off the bat that you know he's like he doesn't have time for nonsense and blah 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 and just like why like yeah exactly like I have I have no interest in in that but yeah that's that's true and and then I'm thinking about um Quexos and I'm immediately thinking in my mind I'm like yeah like you were saying like that's a that's a fun name like can we can we have crossover fan fiction with um Zapod Beetlebrox and Plutero Quexos, because I bet mm-hmm. that would be a fun, whimsical romp through something. Yeah. Well, it's it's also interesting because there is a lot of similarity between the two characters as we've seen laid <laughs> out. Like, they're both kind of stuck-up jackasses. <laughs> it's just one of them is easier to read about than the other because he's got a weird, crazy philosophy. I mean, he is the most celebrated dramatist. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, Maybe if we got to the next page, we'd find out that Charlie is celebrated in one way or the other. Although I'm not really feeling that that's the case or he wouldn't be called Charlie. Mm-hmm. He'd have a whimsical name like, you know, Quexos. Um, but yeah, it's it's funny because I'm just talking about like, you know, like this whole like hyper self-aware look at like art criticism and just philosophy in the it, in this first page. The the, two, the books could not be anywhere further apart, but I recently read a debut novel because you were talking about like it's someone who's a debut novelist doesn't generally go in with this. I recently read a debut novel, which is a lot of fun, called per- Portrait of a Mirror by um, A. Natasha Jokowski. And um, 
she did work as like, I believe, an art curator in the Met. And she used a lot of that for the comedy in in her book. And um, she also has a killer first line in that book. But it's it's not as dense as this. It's definitely like her self-awareness was she knew that there was a lot going on in her book and she wanted to kind of break it up. So she didn't go in trying to make it as dense. But for some reason, when I'm reading this, I I got like almost like a sense of like, huh, there is mm. something. Mm. Yep. So one odd thing uh, or one odd turn of phrase that I kind of stuck on uh, is in this first section where he's uh, where Quexos's philosophy is being described. He's talking about the examples of, you know, the three players. Mm between warring kings, a peacemaker, between adoring spouses, a seducer or a child, between twins, the spirit of the womb. Bite me. I am the mother of twins. And <laughs> no, just no. <laughs> yeah, I You're I not win. the spirit of the womb? I wince. There is no spirit <laughs> in my womb. Thank you very much. That is, uh, yeah, what? <laughs> and like, yeah, I, I can't tell... If that's like, or like, I'm sort of go back and forth between thinking that's like an interestingly bizarre thing to say, or just like a little too much bullshit for the paragraph that you presented. As somebody who has twins, it's a little too much bullshit, Mm -hmm. but that's just my opinion on that one. I did stop at that line for a moment just to try to think about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, What kind of, I don't know if I want to say saved it, but like made it uh, easier to read for me was that the, par- the the sentence before that is between warring kings a peacemaker semicolon between adoring spouses a seducer or, ch- or a child i was like great you know we're using semicolons to separate parts of the list like mm. that's a normal thing but then we have a period which introduces between twins the spirit of the womb uh and then another period before between lovers death and i feel like those periods I I'm, I know I'm probably reading too much into it, but like there's something so uh, odd and sort of structure breaking around them because like mm. he could have just made this all a list with semicolons. Yeah. But like the period is kind of like get a load of this sentence. Yeah. The spirit of the womb is is definitely supposed to be jarring. And like particularly in the context, it's impossible to tell whether it's meant to be something positive or negative or like sort of native to the world. Yeah, I wasn't like, again, like, I wasn't sure. I'm like, are they saying like the mother that birthed both of them? Like or or some like particular weird competitive camaraderie that exists solely because of their relationship. (laughs) Yeah, I just I just I, I I was not sure or the house that they contain together until they're adults. Yeah. Well, I I think the only way to answer that is to. Invite your children on. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Read them the first page of uh, A Magica by Clive Barker. Uh, <laughs> but also, yeah, like, it is funny. I mean, that the, the, the phrase before that, between adoring spouses, a seducer, or a child, where mm-hmm. you're like, like, oh, of course, like, between spouses, a seducer could get in the way, or a child could get in the way. And, like, those are different forms of getting in the way, or, like, mm-hmm. getting between people. Or complicating or, like, or yeah, of of interrupting a previously steady dynamic, let's yeah. say, uh, which is like those are those are different things. And then like between lovers' death, I I just like there's just like a lot of layers going on here. And I I, I will say that like at some point my mind just kind of blanked out. 
which is probably uh, why I love this page. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So it's sort of intentionally belligerent philosophy. Yeah. But I also love how how it takes the time to talk about all the people who wanted to be like, you know what? I don't care if you're the most celebrated dramatist of the Second Dominion. Let me, you know, crap all over your philosophy. Mm. Felt very real. Yeah, yeah. No, that is that is something that's kind of fun. Like this first paragraph is like here wrestle with this philosophy, but also second paragraph like maybe that's bullshit because a lot of stories end in marriages, you know, mm. like a lot of like Shakespearean comedies, you know. Uh, although I do love the like, you know, he dubbed them cheats, you know, like like every story should end with everyone dying or you know the knowledge that everything ends. Mm. Just like okay, that's that's some like Edgar Allan Poe conqueror worm sort of a vibe which i dig but yeah no just it's also i'm just curious a little bit in terms of like like any any book or movie that talks about a philosophy of art like you feel like okay they're setting something up like this Mm -hmm. is either going to be uh embodied in this work or it's going to be sort of like playfully challenged in the work or something Mm -hmm. I, i i feel yeah uh and i'm just curious like how is this uh, going to, uh, well, let me put it this way. <laughs> Why does this first page matter? Mm. Why are we getting this as the first page? And I'm, I'm, I'm curious. I really hope it's Pluthero Quexos is one of the, one of the three important characters in this book, I guess. Mm. On that note, we are running up against time or a little bit beyond that. But, um, so if we have any closing thoughts, uh, we'll, we'll get down below time if you just cut out me struggling with the word debut. Mm. Uh, but that is my thought. Uh. Um, I, I guess my thought is that as much as much as I, like I said, I enjoyed and there was some whimsy in there. I think that my paperback is still going to remain on my shelf, hanging out there, asking me when I'm going to come back to it. I liked it, but I just, I just remember it being so, like you were saying, Vince, so dense Mm. when I was trying to move on. And, um, it'll be there waiting for you when the kids move out. It'll be there waiting for me. The kids will probably read it before I do. Oh, that's almost definitely true. Actually. Yeah. Have them report back on that in, uh, 10 years. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's the, the, the real, the real joy of having children is not having to read. (laughs) Hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Like I do, there is something like, I mean, uh, much of my reading these days takes place in audiobook while I fall asleep. Uh, and I feel like this would either be, I mean, this is the kind of book where I would have to keep rewinding to chapter one, mm. uh, I'm sure. Cause I keep falling asleep, uh, and like not quite catching what's going on, but I am curious. I feel like I would give this a chapter. Uh, yeah. So, Jess. Yes. Where can people find you? I am personally not on social media. However, I am one of many co-hosts for Turn the Page um, podcast from the Syosset Public Library. Um, you can find us at Twitter, um, on Twitter, 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 on Twitter at SPL Turn the Page. 
We are a public library that runs an all-interest podcast because libraries encompass everything. So you'll find interviews with authors, um, special archivists, celebrities, other podcasters. We're really open to anything that um, is of interest to people. And uh, we cast a wide net and we hope to bring in a lot of listeners that way. Thanks for joining us on Dark and Stormy Nights. I've been your host, Finn LeBate, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Reciprocity. You can find the games that I write at mrreciprocity.itch.io, and you can find my other podcast, The Chimera, at thechimera.space, or on Twitter at ChimeraPod, or on your podcast app of choice. And I've been your other host, Ben Blatberg. You can find me on Twitter at Incatastrophe. For show updates, follow Dark Knights Reads on Twitter or visit darknightsreads.com, and we'll meet you back here next week. Weather permitting. is your whole music I should probably not I should just not talk but ah <sighs> ba ba ba